Welcome to 11 Cats Radio. Have you ever wondered how a cat's perception of the world might differ from your own? Well, put your cat glasses on and find out what cats want you to know as we explore their world through their eyes. I am your hostess, Pat Rulo, a healthcare and patient advocate for people and an advocate, not only for my 11 cats, but for you and yours and for cats everywhere. Enjoy the next few minutes with us where we believe that a cat is not just a cat. Well, right now I have a special guest to share with you. She is Stacy LeBaron, and her podcast is called the Community Cats Podcast. Stacy has over 20 years experience working with community cats in Massachusetts. She was the president of the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society for 14 years, and since 2011, she has run their mentoring program, assisting over 80 organizations with setting up TNR, Trap Neuter Return Programs, and getting funding to support those programs. An expert in her field, Stacy is a current member of the Shelter Medicine Committee at the Cummings School of Veterinary Medicine at Tufts University, advisor to the Massachusetts Animal Coalition, vice president of the board for Positive Pantry in Vermont, and committee member for Hubcats Chelsea. She is a past board member and treasurer of the Massachusetts Animal Coalition and the New England Federation of Humane Societies. And really, there's just so much more to know about this fine and wonderful woman, but I'm excited to get started. So welcome to 11 Cats Radio, Stacy. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. It's a pleasure to have you and such an expert on this topic that I want to share today. I really want to talk very specifically about community cats, cats who live outside and do not have a home with people necessarily. Let's start out by defining the types of cats one might find roaming outside a normal neighborhood. Right, yeah. So community cats is really an umbrella term, um, which covers several categories of cats. Many people have indoor-outdoor cats, and so they could be qualified as community cats. I sort of think of community cats as any cat with four paws on the ground outside. And so that's one category is sort of the indoor-outdoor-owned cat. Another category is a potential lost or stray cat and is usually a, a very friendly cat and tends to uh, be a bit more approachable and maybe more visible in the community. And then the third category are what are called feral cats, and they tend to be shyer. They're traditionally born outside. They have not had their origins around people, so they tend to be very skittish. Uh, they are the creators of you know, quite a few litters of kittens, as are any other cats that are outside that aren't spayed or neutered. It's really important if you have an indoor-outdoor cat, obviously, to make sure that your cat is spayed or neutered or any of your community cats that you might be feeding in your backyard are, are spayed and neutered and identified with an ear tip to identify them to say that they've been spayed or neutered in the community. So those are sort of the three categories that fall under this sort of big term community cats. So now people always ask, what should I do? They call me, email, I, I, you know, there's a cat in my yard. Well, it's hard to identify immediately, especially if you don't know perhaps these three categories and they just immediately think it's some kind of a wild and dangerous cat. But then there's some people that say, should I feed it? Don't I feed it? Should I trap it and bring it to a shelter? Should I trap it and get it spayed or neutered? So what is your advice? Somebody just gets up in the morning and there's a cat 
on their deck? What should they be thinking and what should they do? So it's very challenging to be able to identify what type of help a community cat needs from you. There, there's a big challenge about it. And the first worry we usually see with a cat is, you know, somebody has abandoned this cat um, or the cat is lost. And how do we find uh, whether that cat is owned or not owned? We typically first look at the cat, see if it does have what's an ear tip, which is a little bit of a snip, uh, flat snip taken off the left side of the ear. Um, and if there's an ear tip there, it means that somebody is most likely feeding that cat outside and it is already spayed and neutered and has a rabies vaccine and is pretty much already taken care of. If the cat looks good, if it looks like it's got a good coat, a good size, then, you know, you really probably shouldn't worry too much about that cat. Um, if, in contrast, the cat comes and, and maybe has those identifying features but is very skinny, um, doesn't have a good coat, uh, obviously eyes are goofy or something, if it's in distress, uh, then you should definitely contact your local humane society, ask questions first about, you know, what their policies are um, and see what, you know, what they would recommend to do. We also have a resource page on the communitycatspodcast.com website, the resource page, and there's lots of links there of resources on what to do to, to find, you know, for, for cats in the backyard that, that you're questioning. It's a super friendly, healthy-looking cat. You can put a paper collar on that cat and say, you know, do you own me? Please call my number. And that will determine whether that cat has an owner. Oftentimes, a lot of cats that are roaming the community are owned, and they're just sort of looking for a better meal maybe than what home is feeding them. And so they're traveling around. But then there are times when there are cats that do need assistance. There are times cats are lost and they are missing, and you need to scan for microchip. Uh, you need to get them the assistance they need. We need to rehome them. Uh, so there is a lot of different kinds of checks and balances you need to go through. Um, and there are some great resources on our website. Uh, the Mass Animal Fund has a great resource page uh, at massanimalfund.org, as well as um, there's a local group that I've worked with in Massachusetts, the Little Humane Society, and they're bound and determined to ensure that any lost cat finds its home through them. So if there's a cat that's brought in that's friendly, they work really hard to get that cat back home. There are some wonderful, wonderful groups and resources out there. However, I look back at my past and I, my entire life, I grew up extremely allergic to cats. So they were my least favorite animal because obviously I reacted to them until one day this mother cat dropped off some little babies on my back porch and I was fearful to even touch them because I didn't want to, you know, break out in hives. And it ended out that my allergy completely disappeared. And so I had to learn the hard way. You know, I'm feeding it dry food that's basically made out of corn because of my ignorance. So it hurts my heart at how ignorant I was and how I initially began taking care of these cats. So my goal here is to try to educate people so they don't make some of the mistakes I made. So let's assume now that a person finds this cat outside this cat shows up and they can figure that it's not a neighbor's cat and it's not a healthy looking cat and it's obviously needing some human assistance. What is the next step? So the next step is doing a little bit of research. Depending on where you live around the country, there are different types of, of legal ordinances that can determine uh, what you can and can't do with regards to um, trapping cats 
in communities. So you just want to do a bit of a double check by contacting your local humane society or rescue group. Um, the website Alley Cat Allies um, has a feral friends list, um, and you can find that list to see if there's an organization near you that operates in your area. And also the Humane Society of the United States has a state-by-state listing of all the organizations that assist with uh, feral cats and community cats. And they would be a great resource in order to be able to access a humane trap, which you would need to set and bait to help catch the cat, as well as connecting in with a uh, veterinary clinic that would be able to provide assistance, whether it's through surrendering that cat to an organization and then that organization works with the veterinary clinic or if it's a cat that you trap but you decide you want to try and keep it or socialize it or foster it, then they can uh, put you in touch with the local veterinary clinic. There's quite a few clinics all around the country called Humane Alliance Clinics and they are high volume, high quality spay-neuter clinics for cats and they're full of great resources. And if you do have one nearby, I recommend you reach out, check out their website, see their resources. And it would be a great way to, to help get you sort of educated on the community cat concept. Okay. So I think we want to be sure, though, that folks don't trap it and then bring it to a shelter who at some point in time runs out of space and then euthanizes the cat. I'm sure that kind of thing still goes on, yes? Yep. So you do have to ask quite a few questions. And, and that's why I sort of recommend that we first look at the Alley Cat Allies listing of organizations. Um, as well as the Humane Society's listing of uh, organizations that assist with community cats and feral cats. Many of the Humane Societies, though, have initiated what's called a return to field program, or um, they sometimes also call it shelter, a spay-neuter return. So a community cat can come into a shelter and get spayed or neutered, get the medical treatment that it needs, and then be returned back to the, the colony or to that area. So if you are willing, and we would really recommend that, you know, to be able to set up a feeding station and provide for the cat in its outdoor environment, um, you definitely need to let an organization know that when you bring the cat in so that then they know that that cat has a place to go afterwards, especially, you know, when you're talking the summer months. The, um, you know, our facilities are all very, very full. So that may be a bigger conversation than you would have, say, in February, at least up here in the Northeast. Um, in the Northern climates, the wintertime questions about uh, euthanasia are a lot lower uh, than they are maybe in some of the Southern states. All right, but I do think that is a good question. Well, it's a necessary question. The last thing you want to do is pull a cat from outside and and bring it someplace where eventually it's going to be killed for for no good reason. So, yeah, I think, as you mentioned, check out the resources and ask solid questions and make sure the answers you get are positive on the cat's behalf. All right, so trap, neuter, and return. So that's one thing you can call your local humane society, or as you said, there's some low-cost spay-neuter clinics where you can then bring the cat in to get it uh, spayed or neutered so that at least when you return it, it's not going to keep creating more kittens and more problems, or you may decide to keep the cat yourself. Um, let's talk about that return portion because, you know, I know a lot of people that make that their mission in their neighborhoods because there's so many community cats and they trap them, they bring them in, have them neutered or spayed, and then bring them back home and just let them back out. I'm always concerned about that return component. 
The general recommendations are to hold a female cat after she's spayed for 24 hours, unless there's some other reason that you need to hold her a little bit longer. If she does have a complication like an infection in her uterus or something like that, you'd obviously want to keep her a bit longer than that while she recovers. In the spay procedure, um, they actually do use uh, an extra layering of glue in the in the um, spay process in the incision process. So, and the incisions are usually in the high volume, high quality clinics. They're extremely small, um, and so once the anesthesia has worn off, and once basically it's the same thing as the hospital. You know, once you've gone to the bathroom and you've eaten and you can keep the food down, you know, it's time for you to go home. And so we're returning those cats back to their home. Now, a neutering procedure is a lot less impactful for them. And um, so the boy cats can go back out even earlier than 24 hours. So, you know, really, as you would want to be home from the hospital as soon as possible, these cats want to go home too. So that's why we recommend releasing as fast as possible because the longer they're caged, the longer that their stress levels are up, um, the you know greater the chance is for them to get some sort of an infection, um, like an upper respiratory infection or something like that. So you know we highly recommend releasing the cats back out in a timely manner. It's not very comfortable hanging out in a humane trap too. So you know they just want to get home and and huddle up and and recover. Sometimes when they're released, you're not going to see them for a couple of days. They're not particularly excited. But if you keep putting your food out, nice treats out, they'll come back, and then you'll see them regularly again. Okay, thank you. That's a helpful answer. And and you mentioned feeding stations. So if you're going to take on this responsibility, you really have to do be available to put quality food. Let's just talk about that for a moment because I feel so sad for my mother cat who kept having litters, and I'm feeding her dry kibble, and I did not know any better that that wasn't a healthy food for her. So let's just talk about that for a moment. Yeah, so hydration is extremely important for cats. Um, so you do want to have uh, wet food uh, in your feeding routine with cats, especially in the warm months and even in the winter months, which can be challenging to um you know, feed with uh, plenty of water. In the winter months, you can put little heater, heat, those heating pad things that you put in your mittens. You can put those under the bowls to help keep the water from from freezing up. And um, so anyway, so that that's important is making sure that you do have a bit of a wet food component. If you do feed wet food, though, you shouldn't leave it out overnight because you don't want the wildlife to eat the food. So it's important to keep a feeding area that's clean, potentially a Elevated is good, and there are certain designs of little feeding stations where it can prevent having some of the other wildlife coming and enjoying your food. We have a raccoon problem here, so I understand what you're saying (laughs) for sure. And then what about shelter? We initially built some of those Rubbermaid shelters, and then we went all out and built a big storage shed and heated it and insulated it. But that first year, we cobbled together those Rubbermaid shelters. What do you suggest folks do? Yeah, well, it all depends on what your budget is. You can have a Taj Mahal of shelters, and then the, the Rubbermaids work just as well. Uh, it's important to um, ensure that all of your shelters have at least two 
entrances and exits or uh, so that they, if a cat comes into a shelter and then another cat comes into that same shelter, there's an exit route for the first cat. So it's very important that you have that option in when you're working with those Rubbermaid containers. Um, also, it's important to use straw uh, blankets, get very wet and soggy and freeze and actually will make the cat colder. Um, so it's very important to ensure that you have an area that's kept dry and that you monitor it and make sure that it is kept dry for the cats through all the elements. And if you're in a windy area, you know, try and adjust your shelter in a way so that it's not facing right into the wind so all the snow will blow right in. Um, and so to try and think about sort of those environmental impacts when you're designing your, your shelter area. Uh, depending on the size of the colony, you may want to have quite a few shelters so that cats can find their own independent places. I'd sort of say it's at least at minimum like the, the litter box theory, which is forever how, however many cats you have, you need one extra litter box. And the same holds true for shelter and two. You can't have too many shelters. So as long as you're willing to maintain them, you know, you can feel free to, to go crazy and, and provide as much housing as possible. Excellent. All right. And for those who may not know or have, learning about this for the first time, we should maybe give them a resource for, or they could even do a Google search for the Rubbermaid shelters on how to make them. They're pretty easy, just those big tubs and you put another tub inside. And as you say, you line it with straw and not hay or anything else that's going to get damp and wet. So, um, right. Yeah. And I believe Alley Cat Allies at alleycat.org. I think they have the uh, preparation instructions on how to do that. And then also if you go onto YouTube, and Google the kitten lady, Hannah Shaw. I believe she has a video of her building one of those. Okay, excellent. All righty. So how can a concerned person get involved at a bigger level? So this, we're talking about somebody just in their backyard, but I think once you start doing this, you realize that there's a broader problem and maybe some folks might want to spearhead this in their community. So how can a, people get involved to help their cats within their community? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, uh, for the Community Cats podcast, I've, I've interviewed over 260 people. And one of my first questions is always like, well, how did you get started? And it's always one litter of kittens usually kicks off the whole process of being involved in this business of helping community cats. So, you know, after you reached out or if you've gotten help from a local organization, you know, get to know them. I'm sure that they would have a volunteer form there. But before you volunteer, I would really recommend you do your due diligence and not assume that uh, they know everything and you know everything. The best volunteering experience with a nonprofit organization is one where there's a lot of communication on both sides of the volunteer side as well as the organization. So everybody knows what's expected of one another during their volunteer period. Um, most organizations are always looking for people willing to go out and trap cats to help bring them to either the free or the low-cost bay-neuter clinics. If you're a handy person and you love making those Rubbermaid shelters, oftentimes uh, or nonprofit organizations can get grant money to help fund those supplies, and you can run a, say in September, run a shelter-making clinic day with volunteers, and then you'll give those shelters out in the community so that the community cats will have more shelters come that winter. 
Um, in addition, there's always fall cleanup days at the current shelter. So you have to go and change out the straw um, as well as they want feeders. They need feeders to help um, at various feeding stations. If you are in an area where there's snow, there's lots of shoveling to be done in the wintertime. So from a community cat standpoint, in addition to like foster care and the more traditional types of volunteering jobs that you would think about, which would be, you know, working at a shelter or helping out at fundraising events, from a community cat standpoint uh, and supporting those colonies in your community, there are a, a long list of ways that you can help. And, and sometimes they don't get at the top of the list because everybody's worried about getting those cages cleaned at the shelter. But really, we want to help those community cats too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And your website is just rich with information. So let's talk about your website. You've um, you've got a new resource page and listening modules so folks can listen. So let's talk about that because I think you are a very serious resource that I want to make sure people are aware of. Sure. So I welcome folks to check out my website at communitycatspodcast.com. Uh, and it's a weekly show that, that comes out. Folks can subscribe to it or check it out on YouTube. We also have it on YouTube. So that's an easy way to access our show. Uh, so it's about 260 episodes that we have done. I also write a weekly blog post and we have a very easy search tool. So say you have a question about fleas or something like that. You can just go into the search bar and put in fleas if you want to. If you're really new to this whole realm of community cats and and as you said, you want to get more involved with it, uh, our resource page is great. So you just you go into the drop-down menu and click on resources, and there's some choices there for you to choose uh, what your needs are at that particular time. My email address is Stacy S-T-A-C-Y, at communitycatspodcast.com. And if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to, to email me and um, I'm a pretty good resource in finding folks at in other states. So uh, just tell me what state you're from, and I will try and connect you in with, with one of the folks that I've probably interviewed on my show, and I'm sure they want to help you out in your state. Oh, excellent. Thank you. My final word here is going to be, please use Stacy. <laughs> she, she is a resource, communitycatspodcast.com. So easy to remember, communitycatspodcast.com. Stacy LeBaron. I am just so happy that I met you. You're a great resource and a great friend to cats, and you can't get any better than that. So thank you for sharing you and your wisdom today. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us at 11 Cats Radio. I am Pat Rulo. Grateful that you choose to advocate with me. Until next time, Visit 11catsradio.com and give your cat a kiss from me. And remember, accepting a cat into your life is a lifetime commitment.